Thank you, Pastor Dunbar. <clears throat> That's one thing I like about him, I guess, is we neither one of us has changed, so we're both still the same. And uh, I, I praise God. Uh, you like that we helped train, and we always looked, looked at it like uh, we were taking what you've done and just kind of polish it up a little bit, send it back, and you keep on training. But uh, we always felt it was a privilege to have people come from a good church like this. And then uh, one of the blessings in my old age is to think about people, your sons you mentioned down in Texas, uh, down in Brazil, and then up in the pagan state of Massachusetts. <laughs> but uh, pra praise God, I, I, we're, we're, we're grateful for anything that we could do, and it's always a blessing to come back and see people that we had a little bit to do with uh, serving God in their local church. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I just want to start out by saying that we can tell our spirituality by comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want to do that. But the more we're like Jesus Christ, the more right we know we are. And according to the Bible... We can be saved and not spiritual, but if we're right with him, we'll have the same values that he has, and uh, spiritual people have the same concerns that Jesus Christ has, and spiritual people hold the same things in highest regard that Jesus Christ has. And when our Lord has such a burden for the lost and dying, we are only lying to ourselves if we think we're right with God and not seriously concerned about winning souls. And not just concerned, but doing something. Doing something. If we are not trying our best to win souls any legitimate way that we can, we're not right with God. We should be trying to win as many as we possibly can as soon as we possibly can. Well, you say it's hard. I'm in New York. Well, I'm in Idaho. <clears throat> I think about 75-80% of the doors I knock on are Mormon. And uh, again, you can get discouraged. You say, what should you do? Pray and keep knocking. Just keep going. Amen. Keep going. I just give a short testimony, a little tidbit about our church. God is blessing our church. Our church is growing. We're seeing souls saved and uh, baptized regularly. And you know, you know uh, where they come from? Door to door to door to door. Some people say, well, <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. It still works. We have the same God. We have the same Bible. We have the same Holy Spirit. It still works, door to door to door. You say, do you get discouraged? Definitely. Does the devil ever say nothing's going to come of it? All the time. Does the devil ever say don't go out again? Yes. But you just keep on going, and it's just amazing to me, amazing to me. We have visitors, Catholics, Lutherans. Uh, we don't have many independent Baptists out in Idaho. 
Uh, we, we have uh, the Presbyterians, the Mormons, and so forth, and we have visitors, I think, every Sunday. And you find out, how did they get there? I'm not saying everyone, but the vast majority, door to door to door to door. So what I'm saying is, if you're right with God, you're trying to get people saved. You work with people, you have relatives, <coughs> you have neighbors, you have people that you can reach in that way, but there's also people that you can reach door to door to door to door. So again, our text is Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. After these things, the Lord appeared, uh, after these things uh, uh, appointed, my eyes aren't good. <laughs> Uh, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Therefore, said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send, the, you, send you forth as lambs unto the wolves. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of preaching in this good church. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would bless. You know more than I do. I can't do anything without you. And I, I just beg for your power and your blessing. I pray you'll speak to hearts and use the simple sermon that I have this morning. In your name we pray, amen. amen. I, I, I want to look at three words here in verse 3, pray ye therefore. Has your heart ever been moved by prayer requests? A child comes and asks you to pray for his parent to be saved. Maybe it's his father, he drinks, he swears, he gets mad at his son when he tries to witness to him but he'd like to see him saved. Maybe somebody's seriously ill and, and uh, the doctor says there's no hope at all. And they come and say, will you pray for me? I'd like to have peace. I'd like to know the presence of God. I'd like to be healed. Or a home is falling apart and there's no human help, but one comes and says, pray for a miracle. Our hearts are moved by prayer requests. And as our Lord was traveling with his disciples, he stopped and said, I've got a prayer request. And his prayer request is in verse 2. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Now I want to say, if there was a need then, how much more of a need is there today? The need has never been greater, the time has never been shorter, and laborers never fewer than in America today. The great crisis of the work of God is a labor crisis. I want to say that again. The great crisis in the work of God is a labor crisis. When God wants anything done, he needs something, someone to do it. He works through people. Let it sink in. He needs people. He needs you and I. If a church is great, 
It's great because it has a great book, the Bible. It's great because it has a great Savior, Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, a church is never great unless it has great people. God needs people. If you watch closely, you can spot people with a servant's heart. You can find classy people. They might live in a beautiful home. They're very successful, nice cars, dress nice. But they're not faithful. They're not a servant. Uh, you can see people that are regular in attendance. They're here every time the door is open. But they don't have a servant's heart. You can find people that are well-educated, able. They could do it, but they don't have a servant's heart. The point I want to make this morning is we need a servant's heart. We need a servant's heart. Again, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. God always gets his work done in the same way. When God came from heaven, before he died on the cross, before he went to the grave, before he rose and went into heaven, he spent three and a half years training people. He wanted to train laborers. And it was the responsibility of these men and women to do the work of God. He went to heaven. He left them behind, trained. And to me, the most sobering thing, the most sobering thought that ever enters my mind is, it's my responsibility to do the work of God. Again, it's not going to be done by somebody else. The devil always puts him in the head. Well, you know, it's not me. I'm a Christian. God knows I'm just a shy person or I'm this or I'm that. Well, you're looking at a very shy person right here. I fought the call to preach for years. I, 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 uh, I don't want to go all into it. I went to uh, speech therapy for nine years. I got thrown out of school dozens and dozens of times. For fighting, and this, I was not the type. I was a very backward person. And when God called me to preach for years, I said, I can't do it. I can't even talk. The first time I went to speech class, I just stood there for a long, long time. And I remember the teacher saying, I've got more time than you, Vogelin. And uh, <laughs> I just kept on standing there. So the point I'm making is we don't have excuses. We're, we don't have excuses. I'm this, I'm that. If you're saved, you have a responsibility, and that is to do what you can to reach the people that you can. That's the people you work with. Your preacher can't reach them. It's the people that are your relatives. It's our responsibility. And, and, and again, it's, it's, a, it's just a great responsibility, a wonderful opportunity. And it's yet to be seen what will be done with these opportunities. Now, <coughs> again, turn, please, uh, to, to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, if you'd like, or I'll just, I'll just read it. We'll answer to God for the opportunities that he gave us. And whether or not we make the most of these opportunities will be determined by whether or not God has laborers. And I, and I think it's really interesting that 30 years after the death of Christ, they are still 
doing the work of God in exactly the same way. Jesus trained his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And 30 years later, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. But where did Paul get that idea? He learned how to train laborers from Jesus Christ. And 30 years after the death of Christ, they were doing it the same way. Now, <clears throat> let's go 30 years later in Revelation 1, if you'd like to turn there. The, the Apostle John is old, and he says in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 1, ver verse 9, I, John, who am also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes, John, how did you get in that old rocky island of Patmos banished? And he's saying, I was giving out the word of God and testifying for Jesus. God was doing his work the same way. And I think one of the greatest things about being an independent Baptist church like this. Now, boy, independent Baptist churches are changing. But an old-fashioned independent Baptist church like this, it is wonderful because we're doing it the same way. The same way Jesus taught, the same way the Apostle Paul taught, the same way that, that John was doing it uh, 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 back in his day. We're doing it the same way. And the prayer request of Jesus is laborers. Whether it was in Paul's day or John's day or our day, here stands the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he says, I have a prayer request. I have, I, I have a prayer request. And my prayer request is laborers. The harvest is great. I need laborers. Now turn to John chapter 4. There are three times the Lord uses the term about the, the harvest being great and the need of labors. The first time in chronological order is found in John chapter 4. Our Lord won the Samaritan woman to himself, and she's a new believer. The disciples had gone to a, a, a nearby city to find food. And the Bible says in John 4, verse, <clears throat> verse 35, Say ye not... There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now the disciples were saying, these are hard people. This is a hard, hard place. It's going to probably take, if you read the, the whole text, it's going to take four months to get this camp, campaign going. These are difficult people. These people have their own religion. Jesus, they're yapping, and Jesus had already won one of the hardest to him. Uh, again, 
she had five husbands. She was living in adultery. And again, he says, say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white <coughs> already to harvest. Now, look back to, to Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9. Jesus is in the area of the Galilee, and the Bible says in Matthew ch chapter 9, Verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, the harvest Truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. And then our text, again, we, I'll, I'll read it again. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, many Bible scholars believe that this was happening in the last six months of our Lord's earthly ministry. And he's sending these 70 out, two by two, 35 teams of soul winners into a land on the other side of Jordan. People that uh, study de demographics say that the known world at that time probably had a population about half of what the United States population is today. And, and today, we have well over 7 billion people in the known world. Now, I go back again and say that the known world at that time was about half of the population of the United States today. Today, we have over 7 billion people. And the point that I would make is, if the Lord said 2,000 years ago that the harvest is plenteous, if he need la needed laborers then, how much more today? Oh, oh, that we would win as many as we possibly could as soon as we possibly can. Our text passage seems to indicate that there is a campaign being, being launched. And, and there seems to be an organized structure, again, uh, 70 people, 35 teams of soul winners with a specific assignment. Now, my first point... I'm just getting going. <laughs> Not really. My first point, the first thing I, I want to look at is that the Lord, our Lord sees. There must be a seeing. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into the field. Jesus saw something that moved his heart. And if we could see what he saw, it would move our heart also. What did he see? The harvest. Whether it's in the Mideast with the Muslims, or whether it's in New York with the Catholics, or whether it's in Idaho with the Mormons, 
We need to see. We can't just walk through our life, come to church, have our devotions, whatever we do, and click things off like that. We need to stop and see. Someone said, nothing's dynamic until it's specific. Listen, the statement, Lord, win the world to you, is not specific. But Lord, help me to see Joe's at work saved. That's specific. And when it becomes specific, it becomes dynamic. Jesus saw something and tried to get his burden in their hearts, in our hearts. He wanted them to see and get his burden. The great training that the, that the disciples went through was a training of passion. I, I see Christians, and you do too, if you go back to Idaho and go to an independent fundamental Baptist church this morning, you know what you'd usually hear about the elk hunt? I mean, I can't get people at this time of the year to talk about anything else but the elk hunt. Uh, whether they got it or whether they didn't get it, you know, they go through all the deal, details and all this type of thing. They, if they did get it, they'll show you a picture of the kill. Okay, the elk hunt. Now, again, it's different in different areas. But you understand the point that I'm making. Even in church, you don't hear many people talk about spiritual things. You don't hear many people talk about trying to do the work of God. Uh, you go back to Indiana, where I lived most of my life, and you'll hear about football at this time of the year. Wow, man, our team won Ohio State, Michigan, all this type of a thing. Man, all citadels of paganism, okay? And yet people think they, 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 could, they just couldn't get along without their football team. You understand what I'm trying to get at? People are not interested in the things of God. They don't have the burden that Jesus had. And, and all I can talk about is, is silly things, things that don't, when we get to heaven, you know, whether you got an elk or not, doesn't mean a thing. Uh, and whether your football team won or not, the old heathens out there, it won't mean a thing. If we see what he saw, we will be like him. Amen. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a secular life. But we will be like him. Look again back at, at Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They fainted. They were scattered abroad. They had no shepherd. The idea of fainting is, is to cease Cease motion, no more development. And scattered abroad is the idea of just movement without purpose. And you put the two words together, and they're the opposite. And the idea is people are moving, 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 and finally giving up. Isn't that the day we live in today? Just movement without any purpose. Just, just running. Now, we live in an age of more conveniences than ever. I was thinking about running water. I'm old enough to remember when there was no running water. 
Now, I was in Chicago. There was running water there. But out in the, out in the country, no running water. There's a time, my father, just one generation back, no cars, no airplanes, no telephones. And yet today we have all those things and we just run and run and run and run without, without a purpose, without really accomplishing anything. Again, just to use the example, in my father's day, they, he lived way up north, uh, in northern Minnesota, near the uh, uh, North Dakota line. And they would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and cook breakfast on a wood-fired stove, get the team of horses, go out there and clear the field or plant. So that, that's just one generation back, okay? And uh, today, <laughs> today we threw some, threw some oatmeal in a, in, a, in a microwave oven and poof! There it is. And we, I can remember going to my Aunt Ethel's in Iowa where they did not have running water. That meant outdoor toilets. Very cold in the winter. And bees down there in the summer, at least as a kid, I'd hear them buzzing all the time. And taking a bath in a pot. Now we have more and more conveniences and we should be carefree. But we're not. I, 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 I see young people with those plastic things in their ears, and I think they think they're cool, but they're just, they're just uh, slaves to the phone or whatever it might be. It, it ought to break our hearts the way people are running and running and running, television, telephones, everything, running, running. And today there is more mental problems. I don't remember mental problems. I'm not saying there weren't any when I was young. And out in Idaho, there's these clinics, these mental clinics everywhere you turn around. Crazy people everywhere. And suicide, we read about it. Not, that used to be rare. Now little kids commit suicide and old people commit suicide. And drugs, I just heard, it's about 100,000 people a year die in, in our nation from overdoses of drugs. That's the world we live in. They are not satisfied. They are not happy. They are not accomplishing anything. Jesus saw them scattered and fainting and without a shepherd. And, and in, in John chapter 10, <coughs> John chapter 10 uh, ver verse 10 it says the thief cometh the thief cometh to steal and to kill and to destroy and I cometh I, and I am come that they might have life and that they might ha have it more uh, abundantly I am the good shepherd the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep when the thief comes to kill and destroy they have no good shepherd. Aren't you glad we do? We have that good shepherd. Again, I'm 78 years old. I was saved as a child. And all my life, when problems came, I've always had that good shepherd. I've had that good shepherd to lead me and direct me and say yes and say no. They have nothing, the world. They can kid them. They can laugh at us. 
Look at their marriages. Look at their children. Look at their lives. Look at the drugs. Look at everything. They have no good shepherd. And he pictures himself as that one that came to die for our sins and take us to heaven. These have no good shepherd. And they're on their way to hell. Jesus said he saw them fainting and scattered abroad because they have no shepherd. We see that and we say, phew, they're nuts. They have no shepherd. We need a revival of the conviction that Jesus is the only way to heaven and we're the only ones that tell them about it. They don't want to hear, I understand that. They'll, they'll turn us away. But they have no shepherd and don't want to see it. A missionary told the story of eating in a good, nice restaurant in a very, very poor country. I found that there are nice restaurants in the capital of every poor country. And uh, they were eating their fine meals, uh, all the people in there that could afford it. And there were poor, dirty kids looking in the windows. All the windows the kids were looking in. And the people couldn't enjoy their fine meals, so they asked the management to close the curtains. Now, the kids were still out there, but they could just pretend they weren't. And the devils helped us to close the curtains. All around us, close ourselves in so we can't see the lost fainting and dying. We seem to insulate ourselves, don't we? We have good fellowship, and we should. We need good fellowship. We have good fellowship. We have our families. And, uh, but we close the curtains. We don't want to think about the people dying, the wickedness. The lost people are without a shepherd, and they're going to hell all around us. And we'll stand before God, and we'll answer for what we've done to win them. So there must be a scene. We've got to see it. We can't close our eyes. And then there must be a praying. Now, most people would say the next step is a recruiting. Recruit missionaries. Recruit bus drivers and uh, bus workers and Sunday school workers and people to knock on doors. We think it's a recruiting, but Jesus says it's praying. We have so much failure today because we have so little praying. People respond poorly to us because we are poor in our praying. I'm always amazed that when we baptize something in prayer, and isn't it something that we don't do it all the time, but if we really baptize some need in prayer, how easy God takes care of it. Now, I'm going to give, I was asked to give a little testimony about what's happening out in Idaho. But I'll just give you a little bit here. <clears throat> we were struggling along with the COVID in a, in a little storefront, if you don't know about churches, a new church planted. And uh, I, I don't know, 35, 40 people. And uh, 
that, that was this time last year, we're 35, 40 people trying to do work for God. And let me say, Pastor Whitaker is a go-getter. He never stops. But, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, we got Lord laid out our heart to get a building. And uh, so we started praying. The idea was that we were going to raise money in, in 2021 and then look for a building in 2022. But uh, he knocked on the door of a guy who happened to be a realtor, and he said the most beautiful church in town, the old church, beautiful building in town, was going up for sale for $500,000. Now, again, we're just a little church. I don't know what our offerings were, but not much. New Christians, not many tithers, anything like that. $500,000 with a down payment of $150,000. And Pastor Whitaker says, let's pray about it. Again, that's, that's a year ago. We were in not, not, nothing in our, but about, it was about Thanksgiving when he knocked on the door. By Christmas, before Christmas, we held a service in that church. We didn't own it yet. But within about six weeks, we had $370,000. Now think about that. And uh, we're in it. We were in it soon. And I, I'm going to give the whole testimony, and then I'll have nothing to say tomorrow. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what: it's miraculous things are happening. Tremendous things are happening. Now, where did that come from? It came from we were plugging along, praying, plugging along, doing what we should do, plugging along. But once we baptized that thing in prayer and really meant business, it was easy. It was easy. It was like God just plopped it right down in our lap. Now, I've been saved for over 70 years. And I just want to say, <clears throat> over those 70 years, it's been too few times. But I'll tell you, if we get serious about prayer, we really get serious, and I don't even know how to describe it. It's not saying, okay, let's have a prayer meeting. Okay, let's have a prayer meeting. But serious about prayer. God does miraculous things. God is, I call it the Baptist jig. Now, I'm getting pretty old. But I, I've never danced, danced. But I'll tell you what, I've danced the Baptist jig after, <laughs> after God has answered prayers. I mean, God is good. I've about busted... I remember one time getting a super prayer answered. I was in a motel, and I was jumping from bed to bed, and I about busted, busted them down. God is real. God answers prayer. But agonizing in prayer is out of date. We have computers. Who needs prayer, huh? We have books. Who needs prayer? We have systems. That's what's wrong with our Baptist churches today. Changing, changing, changing following man's plans instead of going back to the old faithful prayer and the power of God. It amazes me, and I don't want to get off on something, amazes me the people that don't believe in the old-fashioned endowment of the power of God. I preached on that, uh, I think it was last week in our church. God is a powerful God, and the Holy Spirit lives within us and wants to do great things in our midst. 
if we'd only follow him. Jesus said, I, I, I don't want you to plead. I don't want you to beg for people to go. I want you to pray. I, I'm saying we should pray before we recruit. God must touch our lives. And this happens through prayer. People say, I'll go. Now, excuse me. Our missionary may not agree with me, but I have been in mission fields all over the world. And I think the biggest problem are people out there that call themselves missionaries that aren't called of God. They mess things up. You better know if you're called. You better listen. He wants us to bathe our soul winning, our teaching, our preaching, our work in prayer. And I believe God would touch a whole lot more hearts if we prayed the way we ought to. We have the right Bible. We have the right doctrine. But I think we're a small percentage of the people that we ought to have working because we don't pray enough. There must be a seeing. There must be a praying. And then quickly, and I will be quick, my third point, there must be a going. In uh, Luke, again, in our text passage, chapter 10, verse 3, go your ways, Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Now, where should the emphasis be? Should it place, be placed on go, go your ways, or on send, I send you, or should it be placed on wolves, lambs among wolves? No, the biblical emphasis is I. I. Jesus is sending us. He's our authority. What right do we have to pray that more people will go to the mission field? I, God. What right do we have to knock on a busy man's door after a long, hard day at work? Jesus said, go, that's what right. Today, I don't know what it is like around here. But people say we should have freedom of religion, but not freedom to spread that religion. More and more, they don't want us knocking on doors. They don't want us. Again, when I was young and working as secular, you could witness the people. I worked on the truck docks. I worked in an architect's office. You could be free to witness. What I understand today is very hard to witness. But Jesus says go. Jesus says go. Let me say that's how the communist took hold of the communist countries. Oh, you can, you old people, you can go to church, but don't spread the gospel. Jesus says go. It doesn't matter who says what. It doesn't matter what Biden says. Jesus says go. We should be kind, but Jesus says go. I believe we have more responsibility than ever to go. See them again scattered. <laughs> See them. You know, there's so many sports stations and news. 
there's so many TV stations. Again, we don't have a television. You get into the motel, just so many stations, and there's so much. And I think it's all to keep their minds off their needs. Just running, running, running. Uh, any activity to keep them off their bad marriage. Keep them from thinking about their kids going to the devil. Keep them from thinking about their relationship with God. See them with no shepherd running headlong into hell. I'm through. We need to pray for ourselves and that God recruits more, that we see more recruited. And then go. Go to our relatives. Go to the people we work with. Knock on doors. Bring people in. Jesus said, I send you. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, <clears throat> I pray that you'll use the simple message that I preached. I pray that you'll deal with hearts that you have dealt with hearts and that people will make a decision. God, Holy Spirit, do a work that only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand at your seats.